Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. This morning, I do want to bring a Thanksgiving message this morning, and I hope it'll be a help and a challenge um, to you as it has been to me. Whenever God gives a family a child, Allie got baptized, they're expecting baby number three. Whenever a family's expecting a child, what are the things that in our nature and in our society and our culture that we most often desire for them? You stop to think, what is it when we have a child? And hopefully as believers, there's more than this. But generally speaking, in our society, we, we want them to have a, what we would call maybe a blessed life. And a lot of times what we mean by that is, as Americans in 2022 is we want them to have a comfortable life, a safe life, an easy life. We want them to have opportunities, right? We want to give our children maybe some opportunities that we feel we didn't have or, or that maybe uh, we can give them maybe a head start because of some of the opportunities that we were given. A good education is high on the list for many parents in our society today. A successful career, uh, maybe a, a good spouse is something we would hope for a, a healthy marriage and, and, and a loving family. We want them to have physical health and nice things, and often we'll say things like, I just want my child to have a better life than I had. And by the way, what we normally mean by that is easier and more stuff, which uh, isn't always equal a better life, by the way, but that's another message for another day, not on Thanksgiving. But parents, we'll sacrifice so much to do our best to ensure the best possible head start for our children. Many years ago, there was a young man whose parents had given him just that. He was born into a prosperous, politically important family. He was a good-looking young man. He was highly educated. His parents did a good job in making sure that he knew God and God's Word. A young man of great character that really truly stood out from the rest of his peer group. If he were born a little later in history, he would have been the student body president, the homecoming king, the the one voted in the yearbook most likely to succeed. He probably would have received full-ride scholarships to a bunch of different schools and would have had his choice of high-level colleges and, and really had the world at his fingertips. Unfortunately, in this true story, this young man at the age of 17 was taken by force from his parents, from his family, from his friends. He was taken to another country where they sought to completely change his belief system, his faith, and his direction in life. He would live until at least age 80. We don't know exactly what age he was when he died, but we know he lived until at least age 80 in this foreign land, never returning back home, never marrying, never never having children, never fulfilling probably what were the big dreams that his parents had in the first 17 years of his life. And how did this young man respond to what we would view as a great tragedy? We're going to see that this morning on this Thanksgiving Sunday service. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter number one. You see, this morning we're going to see the life of that young man that I described. His name is Daniel. True story, given a great head start, born into a prosperous, politically important family, Head and shoulders as far as stood out, his character, his knowledge, his wisdom, his looks, all of these things above his peer group. 
But at age 17, we're told, he was taken from his country and from his family, taken to a land called Babylon. Whenever you're reading the Old Testament and you see Babylon, you can almost always know that it's a godless culture. It's a country that, that knew nothing of God, and this, Daniel, this one that knew God, that, that loved God, that knew, knew much of, 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 of God and His plan, was taken to this godless culture where the most important people in the society tried to change everything that his parents had instilled in him in his childhood, tried to change his culture and his faith and his beliefs. And how does this young teenager thrust into this godless culture, how does he respond? This morning's message I've, I've, I've titled, Thanksgiving in Babylon. Thanksgiving in Babylon. I want you to read, by way of introduction, just to get a, a sense of the story. We're going to find our text in chapter 2, but I want you to see a few verses in chapter 1, just to get a sense of the story. Chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and besieged it. So, so the enemies of God, the, the, the king Nebuchadnezzar comes into God's land, into Judah, into Jerusalem, that capital city there, and besieges it, and, and takes takes out some of, he starts with a, a small group, eventually within a couple of years, going to take all of Israel into captivity where they'll be for 70 years in Babylon. And he comes, skip down to verse number five, if you will. It says, and the king appointed them, these, it talks about these ones, these young men that were high above the rest. He appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. So the king comes, and Daniel and his three friends, we, you probably have heard of them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was not their given names. That was the name that they gave them when they got to Babylon. They changed their biblical names. They changed their, their names that had scriptural meaning to names that were very secular. And, and so uh, these four men, and they had a three-year plan. We're going, to, we're going to indoctrinate these young men. We're going to bring them into our culture. We're going to feed them our food. We're going to get them uh, caring more about the, the land they live in than the God they serve. That was his plan. Skip down, if you will, to verse number eight. The Bible says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel, a man of great spiritual, young man of great spiritual character. He said, I, I might have to be here, I might have to be in the world, but I don't have to be of the world. I don't have to let a godless culture uh, come and take over. And by the way, may I just stop and say, we might be living in somewhat of a Babylon, that we might feel that, that, that the culture in which we're living is getting more and more uh, farther and farther away from the Word of God. We don't have to allow the culture to change us and to change our beliefs and to change our principles. That was Daniel. Skip down to verse number 19, if you will. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. There was something special about these young men. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them. And look at this, verse 20. He found them how many times better, church? How many? Ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. There was something different about this young man that had a heart for God. So we have a young man in Babylon in a godless culture, and here's Daniel's whole life ahead of him, not yet 20, who is suddenly living far from family, from friends, from comfort. He's, he's become a lifelong slave to the wicked king of Babylon. 
And what is revealed in his character when, when all of that is put to the test? When he moves away from home at the age of 18 or 19, we might liken that to when our young, our children leave our homes to go off to college, and, and they're, they're all of a sudden given opportunities to make decisions and, and face temptations and face opportunities and culture that maybe we shield them from in their growing up years. How are they going to respond? The next chapter where we'll find our text gives us great insight into the heart and mind of Daniel. Look at chapter 2, verse number 1. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. After a year, about a year after taking Daniel into captivity and his friends into captivity, about a year later, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that wakes him up, it, it wakes him out of his sleep. You ever been there? You have one of those dreams that it's, it just wakes you up. You're like, well, what is going on? It's a, it's a, maybe we call it a nightmare, and maybe you wake up in cold sweats, or, or you wake up and, and, and he, he wakes up, but here's the problem. This dream bothered him, but the problem was he didn't know what it meant, and when he woke up the next morning, he couldn't re- even remember what it was. But he knew that God was trying to tell him something. But he can't remember what he dreamed. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've, I've had some of my best ideas and best plans in the middle of the night, like a dream every now and again. I'll have a dream or I'll have a thought, and I'll kind of wake up, and I'll think, I need to write that idea down, or whatever just came to me, I need to write that down. I'm not trying to be spooky, I don't, but I just, things will happen. And I'll say, oh, I'll remember that. And then I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I know I'm supposed to remember something from last night, but I don't remember that at all. Anybody else, you've been there? And, and this is what happens. And so, so what happens is, it's, it's a powerful dream, so he asks, and I'll, I'll save us the time, but you can read it in chapter number two, I won't read it for the sake of time, I'll just summarize it. He asks all of his magicians and his astrologers, and he asks his sorcerers to come, and he says, explain to me the dream that I had last night. Tell me what God's trying to tell me. And all of them, they don't know what he dreamed, and so here's what they say. They say, well, just tell us what you dreamed, and we'll tell you what it means. And he says, no, I'm not going to tell you what I dreamed, because then you can just make up whatever you want for the message. For me to know that it's really what God's trying to say to me, what the real message is, you tell me the dream, read my mind, because I can't even remember the dream, you tell me what it was, I'll remember if it was right or not, it'll, it'll ring a bell, and then tell me what it means. And they're like, nobody can do that. And he says, well, you better figure it out, or I'm putting you all to death. That's what he says. If, no, if you guys can't tell me what I dreamed and tell me what it means, I'm putting you all to death. Skip down to verse number 17, if you will. Verse number 17. The Bible says, then Daniel went to, so, so by the way, before I get to verse 17 there, actually, before we read that, so, so they make a decree that all of these important people in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom were to be put to death because they couldn't read his mind. And Daniel and his three Jewish friends, his, his buddies, are going to be a part of this group that is put to death. They're about to face capital punishment for the great crime of not knowing what the king dreamed. That doesn't seem fair, does it? As I read it, I was reminded of a comedy bit that I heard Tim Hawkins do. I don't normally show videos in, in church, but, but how he said, I sometimes get in trouble for things my wife dreams. It's about 50 seconds. We'll go ahead and watch that. Oh, ladies, don't you moan at that. How dare you moan at that? It's not fair. Sometimes my wife gets mad at me for behaving wrong in her dreams. That ain't fair. I had a horrible dream last night. You want to hear about it? No, I'm going to tell you anyway. A grizzly bear was chasing me through the woods with his teeth. He was going to eat me. And you did nothing. 
You just sat there and you didn't do a thing. What was I doing? You were playing poker with a rabbit. That's what you were doing. And that's the thing, you would do something like that. You would play poker with a rabbit while I was being eaten by a bear. Luckily, a giant unicorn came and saved me with his laser horn. That's how I say it, not by you. Anybody can relate? I don't know if you've ever been there. And, uh, but it reminded me of that. So Daniel's about to face capital punishment because he can't read Nebuchadnezzar's mind. And by the way, he's never been married, so he has no practice reading someone else's mind, all right? Sorry, ladies, just a little joke. I got one fan. Your wife's not in here. That's the only reason you can clap right now, all right? So we see Daniel's, he finds this, he's not just in trouble for not knowing the dream, he's facing death. Look at verse 17 now. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Look at this that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. He comes home, and he doesn't say, guys, how can we come up with a solution on our own? He says, hey, guys, we need to go to prayer. We need to seek God. We're facing death. We're facing, a, we're facing an unjust, really unfair circumstances in, a, in an ungodly country with an unreasonable authority in our lives, and the only thing we can do is go to prayer. We need to seek, and by the way, we say that the only thing, like it's a last resort, for the Christian prayer ought not be our spare tire, it ought to be our steering wheel. It shouldn't be our last resort, it should be our first priority. And he goes, and he goes, and he says, we've got to go to prayer. Look verse number 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. God reveals the dream and the meaning, if you can continue to read in chapter 2 and the interpretation of it. But we come to our text, and here's our text, four verses. I want you to read them aloud with me, verses 20 through 23. If you have your Bibles, verse, verse, start beginning in verse number 20, going through verse number 23. Let's read it aloud. Ready? Begin. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Thanksgiving in Babylon. We're going to see nine things on Daniel's Thanksgiving list that ought to be on every one of ours. That ought to be on all of ours. And before we do, I just want to stop and remind you that Daniel was living in a difficult place under difficult circumstances, yet he was full of praise and gratitude. And for you and for me, do you ever feel maybe sometimes like you're living in Babylon? You turn on the news and you hear about godless acts relating to marriage that are being passed by those in authority in our, in our nation. You hear about school board meetings where parents are fighting against drag shows in school and bills that are passed that are codifying the barbaric treatment of unborn children, corruption in Sacramento and Washington, D.C., and it can feel sometimes like we as believers are living in Babylon, living under leaders who want nothing to do with the God and the book that we love so much. And if we aren't careful, you know what our response is? Not gratitude. Our response is we grumble. 
and we complain. And we groan. We bemoan how bad it is and how much better it was in the good old days. And when I was a kid, everyone in America loved God. And when my grandparents were kids, everybody went to church. And, and it would have been so much better when Leave It to Beaver was around, like they didn't have the, the, the hippie movement back uh, uh, when my mom was a teenager. And they didn't have uh, sin back in the 1900s or in the 1800s. We act like there was some Pollyannish thing. Now, I will tell you that, that, that cultures do move farther and farther away from God. I get it. But, but we have have an option. We have choices as Christians. We can curse the darkness or we can shine the light. And sometimes it feels like Daniel had much to complain about, but we don't see him complaining at all. We see him going to the God of heaven in prayer and in praise and in gratitude. We live as Christians, if we're not careful, defeated and discouraged, just hoping that maybe somehow some governor of some state that we like can become president and fix everything because God is obviously no longer on his throne. Be careful, Christian. We lose our joy. We lose our vision. We lose our passion. We lose our faith in who God is. We lose our praise. Or even worse, not only do we grumble, even worse than grumbling about that is where we are as believers, is we capitulate to a godless culture. We stop viewing the evil around us as bad, and we become like the culture around us because we know that the worst sin one can commit in 2022 is to be politically incorrect. Daniel purposed in his heart he wouldn't defile himself with the godless culture around him. We defile ourselves if we're not careful with every wicked way of thinking. But my message to you this morning is if Daniel can be thankful in Babylon, if Daniel can have a thanksgiving list in Babylon after having been ripped from his family and taken to a godless place where he would serve as a lifelong slave, if Daniel can be thankful in Babylon, you and I can be godly, grateful children of God in the 21st century here in America. What was on Daniel's Thanksgiving list? Look at verse number 20. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the who church? Blessed be the what? The name of God forever and ever. You've, you've been taken, it's only been a year, you, you haven't seen your parents, you haven't seen your friends, you haven't seen your family, all your plans are gone, all your dreams are dashed, and what was on Daniel's Thanksgiving list? Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. What did Daniel give thanks for on his Thanksgiving prayer? Number one, he, he praised God for his name. He praised God for his name. There is power in the name of God. There is power in the name of Jesus. I like that song we sang, Jesus, Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, what did he say? How did he say? He said, start like this, our Father, which art in heaven, what? Hallowed be thy. He said, start by recognizing who God is. Start by praising God for his name. Before you worry about your troubles and your, your burdens, and by the way, he did say, bring your needs to God. Give us this day our daily bread. It's okay to pray for your needs. But before you ever get to your needs, and before you ever get to your burdens, start with the name of God and realize the God that we serve, no matter the circumstances around us, give thanks for his name. Christian, his name is strength. The, the name of the Lord is still a strong tower that the righteous can run into and be safe, as Solomon told us in Proverbs chapter number 18, verse number 10. His name is salvation, as we learn in the book of Acts. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given among men, under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. His name is comfort. We call him Abba, or Abba, Father, that loving, tender God. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. 
When you're feeling all alone, give him thanks for his name. Thank you, Emmanuel, that you're with me. That you promised you would never leave me nor forsake me. He is the I am. He'll be what you need him to be. What do we thank God for? If you're not careful, if you're like me, maybe you're, I hope you are, you're more spiritual, more mature than your pastor in this area. If you're like me, you know what we thank God for? At least what I, I'm not going to say we, I can't speak for you. You know what I often thank God for? Blessings, benefits, and by the way, it's not wrong. Health. Thank you, God, for keeping us safe. Thank you. Would, you. would you please heal that person? Would you give me that job? Thank you for meeting our needs. Thank you for your provision. We'll get there in a minute. That's great. But do I ever stop to just praise him for his name, for who he is? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We thank God for health and stuff, promotions and raises. When was the last time we praised him by name, thanked him for the fact that he has highly exalted his son and has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Christ is, the, that, that, that Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What a beautiful name it is. His name is holy. Don't take it in vain, Christian. Be careful. And again, for me, I don't even text the little acronym OMG. I, don't, I personally don't. Be careful. His name's not a meme. His name isn't some, some curse word. His name isn't some thing. To, his name is holy. His name is righteous. He is God, the everlasting Father. He is the Almighty. He's wonderful. Counselor. He's the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father. His name is power. His name is peace. He's the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. He is Jehovah Jireh, that God who provides. He is our bread, that which we need to sustain us and our light, that which we need to guide us, and our shepherd, the one who loves and protects us, our righteousness, he is our song. I like what the songwriter said, there have been names that I have loved to hear, but never has there been a name so dear to this heart of mine as that name divine, the precious, precious name of Jesus. And what does the chorus say? Jesus is the sweetest name I know, and he's just the same as his holy name. And that's the reason why I love him so, for Jesus is the sweetest name I know. This week, as hopefully you take a little extra time for Thanksgiving, you spend some time in prayer, stop and praise him for his name. What do we see? Number two, by the way, that was the longest point for those that are doing the math on nine points, all right? (laughs) Number two, verse number two, I know how some of you are because that's how I work too when I listen. Verse number 20, what does he say? Number two, he he praises God for his name. Number two, He said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He praises God for his wisdom. Christian, may I remind you, he knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you need, and he doeth all things well, the Bible says. When you're lost and confused and turned upside down, you don't know the answers and maybe aren't even sure what the question is, praise him for his wisdom. Instead of worrying how you're going to figure it all out, praise him that you don't have to. I praise him for his, he said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. And what does he say? For wisdom and might are his. I praise him for his wisdom. This is somebody that was taken into captivity that was living by himself with people he didn't choose to, bad circumstances, uh, unasked for circumstances, unwanted situations, um, dashed dreams and hopes. And you know what he said? I praise him for his wisdom. I thank him for his wisdom. 
And by the way, if you're lacking wisdom, James tell us, after you praise him for his wisdom, ask him for some of your own. The book of James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which give to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He doesn't withhold it, and it shall be given unto him. You, you need wisdom for what you're facing in life? Ask God. Go to his word. Seek godly counsel and let him guide you. Number three, I told you. Number three, for his power. It says here, his, for wisdom and might are his. Praise him for his power. This will change your whole perspective when you go to God with whatever you're facing today. God, I praise you for the name that is the same forever and ever. I praise you for your wisdom, because I don't understand what's happening around me. And I praise you for your power, that you haven't lost control. You haven't given up the reins of the universe. Elections, church family, don't weaken the power of our God. Economic downturns don't quench him of an ounce of his power. Wisdom and might are his. He is omniscient, all-knowing, and he is omnipotent, all-powerful. Stop, and on your Thanksgiving list in Babylon, thank him for his name, and thank him for his wisdom, and thank him for his power. And number four, notice what it says in verse 21, and he changes the times and the seasons. What did Daniel, what was on Daniel's Thanksgiving list? He thanked him for his work in the physical world. Praise God for his care and control over, his, over this physical world. Nothing will remind you. I got a text from one of our faithful members this morning, took a picture of a beautiful cactus tree thing and sent me a text, said, this was on my morning walk. He said, what a, the artistry of God is amazing. Nothing will remind you of the, the awe-inspiring power of God, like getting out into nature and maybe getting out and, and sitting there and watching the waves crash while the sun rises or the sun sets or getting out into the mountains or going to the Grand Canyon. And we praise God for his work in the physical world. I don't understand how this earth spins on its axis and now the sun goes up and then it goes down and the moon goes up and the tides and the seasons. I don't understand all of that. That's beyond my comprehension. But that's, I don't understand how the human body works. And when I go to sleep, it keeps working. When I wake up, it works and I eat and, and it gives me nutrition. I don't understand how all this goes, but praise God for his work in the physical world. Remember, he is over all. Then he says, he revealeth, the, he, he changeth the times and the seasons. Notice what he says, he removeth kings and setteth up kings. What was on Daniel's Thanksgiving list, God's work in the political world. May I just stop and say, the person Daniel voted for wasn't king. It was a guy that stole him away from everything that he had and wanted and dreamed of. That's who he was serving. And what did God say? What did Daniel say? I want to thank you for your work in the political world. You're in charge of all of this. Christian, I, I, maybe it's because I'm getting older, or maybe it's because social media really escalates this and kind of, kind of accentuates this, but it feels like in the last decade, we as believers, we've placed far too much hope in the political world and not in our God, and, and we, we, we get way too high when the person we voted for is in and way too low when the person we didn't vote for is in, and I'm not saying we as believers ought not be involved in, in, as Christians in, in doing that, but be careful that you don't forget who's in charge of all of this. He said, you remove kings and set up kings. His focus wasn't on that political leader, that wicked political leader that he was under. It was on the God who can use all of those things however he chooses. Sometimes to read the social media posts of some Christians, you would think Democrats or Republicans had all power. 
Colossians is still in the Bible, and it still says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Here it is. Whether they be thrones or dominions, they were created, it says, by him and for him. He sets up kings, and he brings them down. Some of us would do well to commit Isaiah 40 to heart. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as, do you see this, as grasshoppers. We're not that big. He he that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, the physical world, spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. God is in control of this political world. He can use these things for his glory. So yes, pray for your political leaders. The Bible tells us to do that and respect them. And when they don't tell us to do something that's, that's against God's word, we submit, we render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. When they say to do something that's against God's word, we are citizens of another kingdom, and we stand with God's word over, over, over culture that is not scriptural. So yes, pray for your political leaders, and vote according to biblical principles, and be salt and light in the political process of our country, and then rest in God, and praise Him for His work in politics, even if you're living in Babylon and serving under a madman named Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, for you and me, it's a good thing to remember. Our Facebook arguments probably aren't going to change a bunch of other people's minds. But our praise to God for his power in the political world might do a whole lot to change our hearts and minds. I didn't write it. Daniel prayed it. We got real quiet on that point. The the crowd kind of went, we as believers need to remember who's in control. Yes, stand. Yes, pray. Yes, vote. Yes, stand for right. Don't capitulate to culture. But then if you find yourself in Babylon, in bondage to Nebuchadnezzar, God is still on the throne. And God can still use you, and you can still make it. He can still protect you in a lion's den a little bit later, a few decades later in your life. God, and by the way, he never got out of that rough political climate. He stayed there as a slave the rest of his life, but God still used him for his glory. Number six, praise him. Do you see it? In verse number 21, he removeth kings and setteth up kings. Here it is. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Praise him for his work in our personal world. Praise God that he's willing to use people like you and me. That he's willing to teach the teachable, to help those who seek him, to save those who ask him, to change those who are willing to be changed. Praise God for where he's brought you from. That's why I love that last song. I am redeemed. So I'll shake off these heavy chains, wipe away every stain. I'm not who I used to be. What are we saying? God, thank you for your work in my personal world. Thank you for your work in my life. Thank you for giving me wisdom and opportunities and abilities and and, and, and situations that I could never do. And then verse number 22, he revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. Daniel said, I thank God for his work in the problems of our world. I thank God for his work in the problems of our world. Are you noticing something about Daniel's Thanksgiving list? It had nothing to do with his biggest pet peeve or his biggest need or his biggest personal prayer request of give me this or give me that. Or it had to do with, God, my focus isn't on me and my focus isn't on my circumstances and my focus isn't even on my culture. My focus is on my creator. And I praise him for his name. And I praise him for his wisdom. And I praise him for his power. 
And I praise him for his work in the physical world, and I praise him for his work in the political world, and I thank him and praise him for his work in my personal world, and I thank him for his work in the problems of our world. I don't understand it. I don't know why God would allow it. I don't understand why this is happening, but I know that he knows the deep and secret things. He just showed me Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He knows what's in the darkness, and he is the answer to that darkness. He is the answer to every problem that we face. And then the last verse we'll look at, He said, I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers. He praised God for his faithfulness. So easy by human nature to get caught up in the problems of our day, isn't it? We become so myopic. Whatever the burden is today, whatever the bill that needs to be paid today, whatever's happening this week, and what did did Daniel say? I thank you, I want to praise the God of my fathers. What was Daniel saying? I serve a faithful God. He hasn't just been faithful when things are good, but he's still faithful when I'm in Babylon. He's still faithful, and Daniel had the world at his fingertips, and it seemed to be all lost, but he, he praised him. We become so focused on those things, we stop, and we fail to stop to remember his faithfulness to generations. I want you to answer me. Verbally, was God faithful yesterday, church family? Sure he was. Was God faithful last week? Was God faithful last year? Has God been faithful a hundred years ago? And a thousand years ago? And to generations? And if God was faithful then, guess what? When we remember that, it reminds us he'll be faithful today. And he'll be faithful tomorrow. And we may find ourselves in circumstances we don't always like, but that doesn't change the faithfulness of God. He said, I want to just stop and thank you and praise you, O thou God of my fathers. And then lastly, he said, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. What was the last thing on his thanksgiving list? What's usually the first one on ours? for his gifts to us. It's not wrong to thank God for his gifts. In fact, it's good. Don't you like it when you give a gift to somebody and they stop to recognize it and appreciate it? It's a good thing to give thanks to God for his gifts. It's a good thing to do that, but it was the last thing he thanked God for. God had helped him out of a jam, a pretty bad jam, by the way. God had given him things he never could have had on his own. And Daniel was recognizing who God was and what he had given him. It's okay to ask for your daily bread, and it's a good thing to give thanks to God for your daily bread. But let's make sure that all of our prayers and all of our praise aren't just for his presence, the things he gives us, but for his presence, the person he is to us. I don't know about you, but my prayer list is far too much a Christmas wish list. Give me all these presents. And it's not, let me focus on who you are and your presence. Your faithfulness, your goodness, your wisdom, your power. Do you think maybe at age 18, Daniel didn't quite understand why God would let this big change happen in his life? Do you think maybe at age 18, he didn't quite like being in Babylon maybe? Do you think maybe he didn't like that the culture all around him was trying to change everything that he believed? Do you think maybe this wasn't his first choice? And yet what did this young 18, 19, 20-year-old do? In Babylon, he stopped to give thanks. He stopped to say, God, thank you for who you are. 
And thank you for what you can do. And thank you for what I've seen. And thank you for the world you've placed around me. Thank you for working in ways that I don't understand in the political world and the problems that we face. And God, thank you for your gifts to me. It's still true, the Bible says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It's still true, the Bible tells us, that it's God that gives you the power to get wealth. If you're successful in this world, that's, not a, that's a gift from God. That's nothing to be ashamed of. That's nothing to, to hide, but it's something to thank God for and to use for His glory, not your own gain solely. It's God that gives us the power to get wealth. It's God that made Daniel 10 times better than those around him. Thank him for it. Praise him for it. Psalm 107, the psalmist says, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, who he is, for his wonderful works, what he does to the children of men. You can and should give thanks in Babylon, Christian. You may find yourself today in a tough place, living in some tough circumstances. And may I just stop and say, you wouldn't be the first. We saw Daniel, but in fact, in the history of our country, you wouldn't be the first generation of Americans feeling like maybe there's some struggles. We don't know how the future is going to turn out. What's all this going to look like? My investments, my retirement portfolio, interest rates, economy, the, 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 the political divide in our nation, the vitriol that's being spewed. What's this going to look like for my children and children's children? You're not the first generation of Christians to walk through some uncertain days not knowing what the future would hold. In fact, three of the main Thanksgiving proclamations in our nation's history happened with generations of believers in spots just like that, facing difficult circumstances and uncertain futures. The first was more than 100 years, about 150 years before we even became a nation, William Bradford, the governor that had that first, after they were there about three years, that first Thanksgiving proclamation the second, George Washington, just a few years after the Revolutionary War, a time where this young infant nation, what's going to happen to our future? The third, Abraham Lincoln, during the Civil War, when the nation was divided, maybe unlike anything we've, we've ever seen as a nation. And it was in those three times that those leaders, when they were facing some difficult circumstances— and the nation didn't know what the future was going to look like, that those leaders, and I thank God we had some political leaders that had a heart for that, that they stopped and said, we as a nation, we need to give thanks. I won't read the whole proclamations. You can do that on your own, but I'll read a paragraph because I want you to see the heart of our, our nation throughout the years on this holiday we celebrate this week. William Bradford said, inasmuch, notice this, as the great father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, peas, beans, squashes, garden vegetables, has made the forests to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams. And inasmuch as he has protected us from the ravages of the savages, that's kind of a cool phrase, has spared us from pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. Now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims, with your wives and ye little ones, do gather at ye meeting house, on ye hill, between the hours of nine and twelve in the daytime, on Thursday, November 29th of the year of our Lord, 1,623, and the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye pilgrim rock, there to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving, look at this, to ye almighty God for his blessings. George Washington in 1789 said, whereas it is the duty of all nations all nations to acknowledge the providence 
of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses, there's some separation of church and state, both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be acknowledged, uh, to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of who? It wasn't just some nebulous, we thank the universe for his blessings. Those that want to cry, separation of church and state, that don't actually understand that phrase and what it's intended for. Again, another message for another time. The signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. You can read the rest of his proclamation on your own. And then in the middle of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln said, now therefore I, Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States, do hereby appoint and set apart the last Thursday in November, next as a day which I desire to be observed by all my fellow citizens, wherever they may be, as a day of thanksgiving and praise to who, church? Almighty God, the beneficent creator and ruler of the universe. What were they saying when they made these proclamations throughout those centuries, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s? They were saying, praise God in difficult circumstances and in uncertain futures in America. Give thanks to God when the future seems unclear, when we don't know how it's going to turn out. Give thanksgiving in Babylon. This week, we should take some time to praise God for his name, for his wisdom, for his power, for his work in the physical world. Thank you for the beautiful world you've given us to live in. For his work in the political world, for his work in our personal world, for his work in the problems of our world, for his faithfulness, the God of our fathers, the God whose name forever and ever, his faithfulness, his mercies, they, they change not. And then thank him for his gifts to us. I was getting a haircut on Thursday morning. It's getting easier and easier for my barber to do that. <laughs> you shouldn't have laughed at that. I was getting a haircut on Thursday morning, and, and my barber was asking me, what, what plans do you have for Thanksgiving? She was talking about it, and she said, she said I, and, and she's a first-generation American. She said, I, I'm not even really, we get together for us Thanksgiving, our family. It's really just football and food with family, which, by the way, that's part of ours too. She said, I really don't even know how it's supposed to be celebrated, but that's what we do. And I told her about our church services today, and I told her about our pie and pray service tonight. And I told her that our children, we've done since they were little, every Thursday morning on Thanksgiving morning, we each take about 30 to 45 minutes on our own throughout different spots of the house where we're quiet and we read scripture on our own and we pray and we, we make a Thanksgiving list and then we come back together. And generally it's about an hour long time on, on Thanksgiving morning. We come back together and for 15 or 20 or 25 minutes, we share what God's meant to us that year and what we're praising him for and what we have to be thankful for. And it's one of the sweetest times of our year. And I shared that with her. And for our family, often it'll end up with someone or multiple of us in tears and just so thankful to who God has been for us. And I shared that with her, and I said, that's what we do. And she said, oh, I never even thought of that. That's amazing. She said, my, my family would look at me crazy if I tried to tell them to do something like that. They would think I was, I was crazy. And, and it makes me sound like, wow, that's amazing, Pastor Ryan, you guys do that. But may I stop and say, Thanksgiving for the believer ought not just be one hour a year. Now, if, that's, if it's nowhere throughout the year, let's start with one hour a year. But for the believer, it ought not be just one hour per year. 
It ought not be just on the fourth Thursday morning of November that we are thankful that I take time. It ought to be a daily thing. For the Christian, Thanksgiving shouldn't just be a day of life. It should be a way of life. We as believers living in Babylon, are we spending more time cursing and groaning and complaining and bemoaning and worrying and fretting and wondering, has God forgotten about us? And is God, what's happening and what's it going to look like for my kids? And where's this going to go with my career? And I'm not saying that you can't pray about these things. Daniel, what did he do when he was facing death, when he was facing, if I don't get this figured out, I'm done. We're done for. He went home and he prayed. I'm not saying you can't cast your burdens on the Lord. You can't come to him and share your heart. What I am saying is once you've done that, make sure you take some time to praise him for who he is. Thanksgiving in Babylon. What a beautiful prayer. Four little verses. The heart of probably someone in his late teens saying, God, what great spiritual maturity and what a great example for you and for me this week and not just this week, but every week of the coming year, let's take some time to be thankful. Convicting thought that I read somewhere, maybe it was on social media or something years ago, maybe I heard a pastor say it, but if you woke up tomorrow with only what you thank God for today, what would you have tomorrow? How's our Thanksgiving, church? Oh, I know, we can talk about the problems, gas prices, I do it. Interest rates, finances, 401ks, stock prices, Twitter. We can talk about all that stuff. And I'm not against conversing about what's going on in our culture together, but let's make sure as Christians and as believers, those don't dominate our lives. But we stop to take take the time to thank God in Babylon. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Lord, I I do want to thank you for who you are and for what you've done. I thank you, God, for the freedom you've given us in America that today we can gather, as William Bradford said, as George Washington said, we can gather freely and worship you according to our conscience. I thank you for the gift of religious liberty that we still have in our country today. God, I pray that we as believers wouldn't take it for granted and we have opportunities. We would stand for it and we would vote for it and we would fight for it. But God, we would remember that even in nations where they don't have religious liberty, that God, your arm is not shortened. The gospel is not limited by what man may say. It's you that sets up kings and brings them down. And Lord, I pray that we as your people this week, we wouldn't just look at and praise you for or pray for our circumstances and and our problems, and our needs, but God, we would take some time to just focus on you. And Lord, when we stop to remember your faithfulness throughout our lives, it'll give us faith for who you'll be today and tomorrow and into the uncertain future. I pray this week that we as your people, I know that you're honored and you're glorified when your people are a people of praise. I pray that this week we would be people of gratitude, of generosity, of praise. Those who've been given much will give much. Help us, dear God, to be like Daniel. Even if we're living in some circumstances we don't quite like, in some situations that aren't quite our favorite, in some futures that we don't exactly know how they're going to turn out, I pray that we might learn from this godly teenager to be thankful in Babylon. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.